I believe when you really put your efforts and your intention out there, it really opens a lot of doors because from ship fitter to marine design to security integration, I never thought that I would have been running my own business too. It's Catherine, your host of the Space to Build podcast, the show that highlights the paths women in the architecture, construction, and engineering take and shares actionable items for you to apply in your own career or company development. This week, our guest is Janice Burse. She is a technical operations manager for our global security integrator and has had such a cool non-linear career path. We chat about what her role looks like now as a manager, how she got there, and the lessons she has learned over her career. I actually grew up around the shipyard she talks about, and I've never considered what career opportunities would look like until the last few years where I've met more and more people that have worked at the shipyard. And it's just so eye-opening to learn about the process and what those unique experiences are like. And I don't know if that would have been a good fit for me. I wonder if it could have been an option for you or if you would have given the opportunity. So come hunker down and hang out with us as she shares her career stories. But first, a quick word from our sponsor. Bond Civil and Utility is a premier full-service construction management and self-performing general contractor working for the civil, utility, power, energy, and infrastructure markets. Bond is well known for delivering reliable, safe, and high-quality work with offices in Massachusetts, Connecticut, New Jersey, New York, and Rhode Island. Bond employs more than 700 building construction professionals, including 460 field staff and 54 administrative staff members. For more information, please visit www.bond-civilutilities.com. Who is Jan as a human being? Jan as a human being. Let's see. How do I want to answer that one? Because I am so much more than just my career. But what I would like to start out saying is that I am um, imperfect, but evolving. Yeah. And as I look back over, you know, my life, including my career, that's really the best way I can describe it. Yeah, and I definitely think we're going to get a good taste of that once you start talking about your career story. So why don't you start us off with what your current role is? Okay. My current role is technical operations manager for engineering at Convergent Technologies in Columbia, Maryland. We are a global security integrator. Okay. So what does that look like? What's a day-to-day like for you? <laughs> it changes really every day, which I didn't think it would um, when I took on the role, but um, we're in the process of doing a lot of um, standardizing, which had not been done before. We were part of an acquisition. Convergent bought the company that I was working for before, and there was really no processes. No people were kind of flying by the seat of their pants, and that's not good for an engineering department. That's been one of those things that has kind of been on the burner as a slow simmer that, you know, we've been working on that. So every day I usually have a couple of tasks for my um, team to do. We also will have a list of drawings or data submittals or, you know, all kinds of things like that that we need to do. But before I even do all that, my day starts with an hour and a half commute to work because I live in Haymarket, Virginia. So that's always interesting being on the highway with thousands of my closest friends. 
every day. So on the drive in, I usually try to make use of that time. You know, the way I look at it is I have three hours a day to expand my mind or my knowledge or just be with myself. And that has helped a lot with evolving for sure. You think about a lot of things, a lot of things, because some of us don't even take the time to think about things or be with ourselves every day. And that's super important. So, yeah. So after the commute, then the whole day starts and um, it just goes on until I normally don't leave the office till 530, maybe six. So it it goes for a long day. But I have a lot of people coming in out of the office every day. Got a lot of moving parts. I'm almost like a traffic cop sometimes. I get the pleasure of interfacing, though, with a lot of different colleagues all over the office. Um, engineering sometimes can be like the hub, kind of the center of projects and things like that. So yeah, so it gets quiet there after about four. So that hour and a half helps me to wind down the day and prepare for the next day. And then the hour and a half gives me time to decompress before I get home. What got you into this space? After a move from Hampton Roads to Northern Virginia, my husband got a job up here after retiring from the Navy. So I just thought, I was going to spend that time not really working a lot because our daughter was just starting college at VCU and she's my only, so it was a little hard, let her just go. So I thought, hey, I'll spend three, four days down in Richmond with her and spend a couple of days up here. You know, I said, I'll work temporarily, maybe in the fall, be done by Christmas, you know, and she was in an apartment. So I would go and hang out and be mom down there with her. and. Uh, I started applying for temp positions because, of course, I was going to only work temporarily. Right. Yeah. And the first place that called me was a security integrator. And I worked there for probably about three, four years. So that's how I got actually (laughs) security integration and no experience in it. But my prior work, which was in naval architecture, marine design. And a lot of it was government related. So you have to have a certain way about your discipline and paying attention to a lot of the small things that some people don't usually do. And I think that's what propelled me after being at Dean for six months. They actually made me the manager of their CAD department. That's pretty impressive. Yeah. So what did you do back in Hampton Road? Like, let's go through that story. Like, your very first introduction into construction. Okay. It was through not being very happy with the college experience. I graduated high school at 16 years old, and I went to college. I wanted to be into architecture. The college that I went to really only did engineering-type curriculum. Hated it. 16 in college is not fun. Not fun. You know, you're, yeah, it's just not. So after a year, I was like, I don't think I want to do this, but I better do something with my life. Right. So I took what they call the civil service test and, you know, got a pretty good score on it. And I just decided, hey, I can go into the shipyard in an apprenticeship. That'll be fun. That'll be adventurous. Let's try that. So at 18, I, Started as a shipfitter in the Naval Shipyard in Portsmouth, Virginia. And I spent four years 
through an apprenticeship and graduated from that. And I was two years in after that. And I said, design sounds like kind of back to what I thought I was going to do, you know. So I started doing jobs in naval architecture, you know, with different firms. I left the shipyard and that's how I got into the whole design industry. But yeah, ship, ship fitting was what I was, a ship fitter. Yes. So you said I'm at a civil service test. What is that? Yeah, it's a test that you take and you can be listed on a list where you can apply for certain jobs. So I want to say, I think my score at the time was like 110 on it. So when I first took it, actually, I took it the year before and the score is high enough that I kind of stayed on the list and I got an offer to do the apprenticeship the year before. Mm-hmm. And my father was like, uh, no, 17 is a little young. Let's not do that. So I was like, oh, okay. All right. So then when I turned 18, he was like, okay, I guess I can't stop you. What was he worried about, about you going into the shipyard and being young that made the difference like that one year did? It, well, I think he figured I was going to do it no matter what. He was a ship fitter. I didn't know it at the time when I went to choose. So, so they put you in front of these people. You know, you don't know them from a can of paint, really. You don't. And, you know, they tell you these are the jobs that are open. So that particular morning, dad drops me off on his way to work because all this happened in the same area. Right. And I said, okay, is there any job I should say I don't want? And he said, Boilermaker. Boilermaker is a really dirty job. You don't want to do that. And I said, okay. And that's all he told me. So when he was a shipfitter, it was really before I was even born. So I had no idea what what he did as far as an apprenticeship. And so I go in and looking at all these different jobs and I'm thinking, I don't know what any of these things do. Well, I knew what a welder did. So you could choose three different paths. So I chose welder, I chose sheet metal, and I chose ship fitter because I thought that sounded pretty interesting. It was like you're a construction type person. I thought that was pretty cool. So I was like, okay, maybe I'd like to do that. So I ended up being in that shop. But what I didn't know until I kind of got an idea of what dad had done when I left the panel interview and one of the guys that were there, he says to me, are you Henry's daughter? And I said, yeah, I'm like, look at him, like, why would you ask me that? You know, because Dan was just Dan. And he says, well, tell him I said hello. Because I used to be one of the guys that was his welder. I was like, okay, I'll, I'll tell him. You know, so I toddle out to the car. And Dad's out there waiting for me in the car. And he says, how did it go? And I said, oh, it went really good, I think. He goes, well, what'd you choose? I said, it's a fitter. And he went, oh. And I was like, I guess that's what you were, huh? <laughs> and he said, yeah. You know, so after that, it, it was a pretty cool relationship. It took my relationship with my dad to a different level because we had a lot in common. And I think sometimes blood and genes, I really believe that has a lot to do with some of the things that really resonate with you. And we would talk about what I was doing on my jobs and, you know, all of that. So. He would show up on one of my jobs, two of my jobs, or, you know, any job I had, he would just 
show up. And he'd start quizzing me, asking me questions like, what are you doing? Where's your plans? Tell me about this. What are the steps you're going to take? So it wasn't easy, you know, because he wanted to make sure that I knew what I was doing. I was getting the right education and nobody was going to make a fool out of his daughter. I look in hindsight, which never bothered me that he, you know, would come down at the time. At first, I thought he was just coming down, just kind of checking to make sure nobody was bothering me. But as time went on, I realized what he was really doing was he was making sure that I was squared away. Because if you are squared away, nobody can take that from you. I feel like I would be like, what are you doing here? Leave me alone. Yep, yep. You know, but yeah, he, he actually would. And he would ask me different questions. And if there was something that in our discussion that I should go and investigate or whatever, you know, I would go and do it. So, yeah, it was, it was pretty cool. It was a really great time. Yeah. I can imagine. So what did your peers think of that? Well, there were only two girls in my apprenticeship class. That seemed to be the running number at the time. Um, let's be honest. That was like in the 80s. Okay. I don't want to date myself too much. But anyway. And the apprenticeship class actually before me in, in the shipbuilding realm, it was two women. So it always only seemed to be two women out of a class of like 20 guys. Since it was government, I'm sure they had some sort of quota they had to meet. Now, the males, they were okay. They were okay. None of them did like stupid stuff or anything to, to discourage you. Some of the supervisors, especially on a water side, eating a bit much. They would know exactly how to get right up to the line. And they sometimes could be kind of nasty sounding to you not necessarily word nasty but just actions and tone you know and looking back I think it was to perhaps get you to bug or get you to not want to you know stay there or be there yeah that's what I that's what I was going to ask you because I know sometimes as a young person it's hard to distinguish is it because you're a young woman or a young man is it somebody that's just trying to toughen you up because that's the way they came up and that's the way they want to treat you to make sure that, like, you've got the thick skin to make it through the industry? Yeah. So it's like you have to sit there and realize, OK, it's not about being a woman. It's just them doing their job to make sure that their team is stronger. I, I don't know. We changed out every six months. So we weren't really stuck with one particular supervisor at any particular time. And we did rotate between waterfront time, shop time, um, which included things like running punches, laying out our steel from the patterns that were done in the mold loft, which that was another indoor, you know, inside job. So you got to rotate and you got to taste out of really each section of what encompassed the whole shipbuilding you know, area. And you also had a nuclear component, you know, so you learned about, you know, that type of stuff and how to, you know, keep yourself safe around reactors and things like that. So it was really interesting, but there were some supervisors that you really learned a lot from because they were just going to teach you no matter what. And then you had some that were really, really old school and, you know, you were just grateful that you only had to deal with them for six months. Fair enough. So what were some of your lessons learned in the shipfitting time period? Well, always, always, always read your prints 
over and over again to make sure that you're doing exactly what you're supposed to be doing. And that's super important where you're first getting started because you need to know where you are on a carrier. <laughs> you could get lost. There are small things. <laughs> yes, you could get lost and you just could like look really stupid. And usually your mechanics would always play silly tricks on you, like send you to the tool crib to ask for a left-handed sty hook. And since you're new, you don't know it, know that no such thing exists. So you go to the tool crib and they're like, oh, you must be new kind of thing. And yeah. Yeah. So some of them would send you, oh, we don't have one here, but we have one at the tool crib that's on the other side. And then like walk all the way down to the other end of the yard just to find out that either it wasn't there because they would do this to kind of mess with the apprentices when they first got started. So. You know, I never did that to anybody because I didn't think it was funny. But yeah, I never did that to anybody because that was like a waste of time. And it was really hard being a, a female because for the longest on the waterfront, you know, they didn't have ladies' robes. So they would have men's robes that they like put a wall in there. And like, so you walk in and it was a bathroom that was a male bathroom. So it'd be the urinals on the walls and, you know, stuff like that. And quite frankly, I had never really seen urinals before so it kind of I was like what in the world yeah so it it was a lot of interesting things that you know I encountered during that time that I'm sure they have probably modernized things by now I would hope but like I feel like I need to reach out to some like newer ship fitters and just be like interesting to find out yeah it would be so I'm sure that stuff is a little slow to adapt, but I would imagine at least the bathroom facilities are much better nowadays. <laughs> but yeah, so those things were really interesting. So I learned to just not let that type of stuff bother me because it was a fact every day for me. It was a fact that there weren't many, you know, women on submarine that would be working with you, you know, especially submarine. That was even before, you know, they had women on submarines. So years and years and years and years. Um, You just didn't see a lot of women actually in the trades. So few women welders, few women electricians, but pretty much you just didn't see a lot lot of women. Yeah, I can imagine that. And oh, that's so cool that you were in submarines. But what kept you going? You know, what kept you pushing through when you were one of none? (laughs) was fun. It was adventurous. You know, I realized that um, at that time, it was enjoyable to work outside or to, to know that you're doing something totally different, you know, that most people, most women didn't choose to do. So there is an element of adventure. There's an element of fun. For me, it was fun. I was 18, 19, 20 years old, you know. Being able to work outside was great. You didn't get bored. You couldn't afford to get bored because it wouldn't, it wouldn't be very safe for you to get bored either. Um, but it was just so interesting. And the whole field of marine and naval architecture and all of that, there's so much to it. And I learned stuff every day. I didn't understand how a dry dock worked until I saw it, you know, to see a a boat go into dry dock and watch the water get pumped out and just the idea that how they have to lay out the keel blocks so that big boat comes right down on those keel blocks it's just so amazing so many things especially for repair 
And I, I know I've seen things that a lot of people at that time didn't have the opportunity to see. So it's pretty cool. Yeah, it sounds like it. So how did this experience help you for the design transition that you made? I got interested in design after being on the waterfront for like six years. I wanted to not be in the elements forever. And I felt like there were some things I needed to figure out as to what was going to be my next step. And that's when I decided that design, I found the reading the blueprints really interesting. Uh, whenever we would find something that didn't really match up. Because sometimes when they would start the designs, they were starting from old records. And then if we go out there and we see there's something different, we were supposed to basically do an as-built, mark it up, go and get approval for it and all that. So I thought that that side of things would be really interesting. You know, being able to fix the drawings and all of that. I did drafting in high school, loved it. so. That seemed to be a natural progression. So that's how I got into marine designs. I did structural. I did mechanical. Didn't really do a lot of electrical. Electrical never really floated my boat. Believe it or not. Now, what am I doing? Like, indirect. But anyway. But yeah. So it's not really a, a electrical type. Never really was interested in that. More of the mechanical, more of the structural. You know, you could see what you had drawn and you could go and actually see it. So you're starting to see a whole life cycle of something. And that was really cool being able to do that. So I started to feel like I was somewhat finding a purpose, you know, as to what I wanted to do. I've always been comfortable doing some type of design or construction or something like that. And, and I'm not sure everyone's born with that feeling or can find comfort in that. But the ones of us that do, we do. So. Yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. I I love that you were able to kind of come full circle with your experience in the field and then taking it to a, the, the design side and drafting the things that you spent six years looking at and understanding from a hands-on approach. I feel like that just uniquely positioned you to excel in the design space. 100%. So when you came on were people comfortable with you knowing you came from the field or was there any kind of discrepancy because you came from the field and you didn't come up through a different approach that's a little bit more academic? Right. Actually, I had more credibility because I had been in the field. And at the time, and it was many, many years ago, I'm, I'm a big, tall woman of 4'11", and I barely weighed 100 pounds, so you didn't see ship fitter when I walked in, right? The element of surprise is a good thing, you know, because it's like, whoa, and, and it's like they know there's something to you, you know, because that would normally have been the case. So I ended up having a lot more credibility, and things made a lot more sense, you know, to me, I think, than it would be to someone just, you know, fresh out of school. So what were some of the big lessons you learned as a drafter? It was great that a lot of my drafting principles from both school and actually in the field, you understood how important it was to be accurate, to scale, to have the correct notes on drawings because people are relying on this information. So I learned that all of that was really important. 
you know, it, it could either cost a lot of money if you put the wrong thing. And if by some chance, some second year apprentice was looking at your set of drawings, you know, they could do a lot of damage or do something stupid, you know, and you go back to the drawing list. Yeah, the stupidity started there. That's the one thing that still resonates with me today, mm-hmm. that what you're creating for someone else's use, you have to really be careful, pay attention. And it's not a bad thing to check yourself twice. Yeah, and not assuming that someone's going to be able to read in between your lines and they don't know who you are. Exactly. Exactly. So oh, it's not a lot of, lot of difference when we think about it, you know, the shipbuilding world, the marine world, and actually regular building. That was probably the most comical thing to me when I actually transitioned over because everybody was oh, 3D buildings and all this stuff, like when I got up here. And I'm looking at them like, well, like doing that instead of building for years. You know, we've been modeling submarine carriers, you know, in 3D, like forever. So I didn't understand what the big hype was. And I was thinking, gee, why hadn't they been doing this all all along? So that was was interesting to me, interesting and comical, because I would have thought that the building sector would have been either on track or even further ahead. And they actually weren't. And they still are, believe it or not, because it's so open for interpretation and intellectual property as to how someone creates a building and and they don't want to always share their information. That was non-existent in the shipbuilding, right? Especially government shipbuilding, which where I came from it heavily government. Because everybody had to follow the same rules. So it's not open for your interpretation. You know, there's rules to be followed. So I didn't understand why that didn't translate over to regular building. Yeah. Yeah. I can definitely see that. And also like the history of shipbuilding is a little bit more substantial than I would say, you know, just a sky rise. Right. Especially when the government's not necessarily involved with all these little details. There's a lot more leniency. So how did you take your experiences of standardizations and 3D modeling, your field experience into vertical construction? I was surprised, especially when I first started at Dean, that um, they only did 2D stuff and it was like line drawing and stuff. So it was super easy for me. It was super, super easy. And all it took was basically to hone in a little bit of their procedures because they already had a good set of procedures and standards. And it was basically at that point to give a little bit of license and freedom to the guys that ended up working for me. One of them was like a full-time timer. And all the rest of the drafters there were students. So I worked around all their crazy schedules. And... What I realized, and I didn't, it's funny, it didn't connect for me until I started having people work for me, that you don't always learn from what you're doing, but you can learn from people every day. So what I learned with all the different personalities that I had to deal with with my department, I realized that just like me, people learn different ways. People produce things, they make it to the same result. And they may follow the same steps. They just may follow them a little differently, but but they get to the result. So for me, that was the big thing. 
that was was the big thing of of learning to deal with so many different personalities and having different ways of doing things in AutoCAD. Whereas before the world I came from, do it this way, this way, this way. And so it, it was a lot more lenient, a lot more licensing. It did give me an opportunity to expand my knowledge with physical security because I had no idea of that world. None. So it was great learning about it. And there's such, you know, there's logic to it, which was interesting to me. So that was one of the things that I was able to take the discipline that I had my previous jobs and I could translate that with the logic and the way things should go. The drawings were not as complicated. So all of it I could build on while learning new stuff at the same time. Yeah, that all makes sense. It's kind of funny listening to how your story for your career path has come together because it's very non-traditional in a lot of ways. And it probably even surprised you because you weren't an electrical girl and you're like, "Mm -mm, not my cup of tea. And lo and behold, that's where you end up up here. So looking back on it and just taking your career like on a large scale, what have you learned? from all your different approaches to your career path? I have learned that I'm incredibly strong and incredibly resourceful because after my time at Dean, I actually started doing drafting, you know, on my own as a business for a lot of the people that I had worked with over that short time. And most of my business was word of mouth and I was pretty busy. So that surprised me because at first I've never looked at working for myself, working on my own and and creating income solely on what I knew to do. People like depend on what you're saying and what you're doing, like for reals, for reals. When you're the person that they're depending on to create this package for their people to go out and install and for them to show their customers, you know, they really depend on you. You're a big piece of their business. So I decided got two laptops, loaded them up with AutoCAD. One each had different suites of software. And I would go to different offices for my clients and would just plug up there and do work for them if they needed, wanted me to be there for us to make changes or they wanted me to go to coordination meetings, I would go because most of them were like, eh, I don't do John, we'll just give it to Jan. You know, and it was a huge responsibility. And what I found was when people had that comfort level with you, then they could go on and do other stuff because they knew you had it. That was incredibly motivating for me. That responsibility was great. I, I love having that. I learned how adrenaline can really affect how you do things because before I never even thought that way. But when you're powering through something for, for someone that is your customer, that that is your, your job and what you're doing for yourself, you know, that you would be surprised how you can get your stuff in order pretty quick. Yeah, it's a lot of responsibility to take on. And just when you realize the impact you have on a client or organization, your community, it kind of just helps kick your butt in gear a little bit. You're like, oh, I've got to really show up for them. Yeah, it does. And, you know, this is the thing. I believe when you really put your efforts and your intention out there, it really opens a lot of doors because from fitter to Marine design to security integration. I never thought that I would have been running my own business too. 
that was not the path that, that I saw for me. And maybe that's one of those things that we don't always move in that linear path. And it's okay. It is. Do you feel like where you are now, it's just like a really well curated sense of purpose in your career? Yeah, I do. It makes a lot of sense now. Whereas before, I kind of felt like I was kind of darting around just doing things. Now, now once I got up to Northern Virginia and I saw these different opportunities and, you know, every now and then I watched like a business show or listened to a business podcast or something, but I was just like bored, bored, bored with that side of things. But actually being able to do that and say those steps, especially, you know, the foundation of what I got, nobody can take that away, right? Mm-hmm. But all of these other little lessons that rounded out the picture, rounded out the person that I am right now, the person that's still evolving, you know, and that's why I said earlier that I'm imperfect, but I'm evolving. And it wasn't until really that I got this promotion at Convergent that it all just clicked one day that it's been a huge evolution. It really has been. There are a lot of things about me that I am super satisfied with. That I would say years ago, I wasn't. It, it has been able to evolve into not just the career, but me as the person too. I think that's so beautiful. I love that. And I hope to build that confidence that you have and that sense of ownership that you've developed over your own career. Well, we're going to transition real quick into rapid fire and then we'll wrap it up. You ready? I'm ready. Coffee or tea? Coffee. What is your favorite tool for work? My iPad. What are you currently reading or listening to? Okay, podcasts. I listen to a podcast called Successful Women Think Differently, Brown Ambition, which is like a fun financial one. Um, Let me see where else. The Model Health Show is one of my favorites. I like Jay Shetty, anything that he does. I really like him. One of my really favorite books, though, is You Are a Badass, that whole series. Oh, isn't that that really colorful book series? It is. I actually got all the books on audio, and those got me so pumped up last year and got me thinking in so many different ways. So that was really one of my favorites. And sometimes when I want to rethink some stuff, I'll go back and listen to a different one out of that series. I might have to officially, like, hunker down and read those, because I've looked at them over the years, and I just... They're never the right time. They will learn audio and just listen to it because she's like, boomed. Awesome. Okay. I'll check that out then. Uh, So it's been so great to finally record this with you. And I've enjoyed connecting with you. And I always learn something new from you every time we chat. Um, But how can our listeners connect with you and continue to learn from you as well? Well, they can reach out to me. My email is jan, J-A-N, first, B-U-R-S-E, at iCloud.com. Awesome. Simple. I I keep it simple. All right. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you for asking. And you take care of yourself. I will. Thank you so much for being here today. If you would like to chime in on the conversation, you can find us online at space2build.co. Yes, it's .co. We are also on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter at Space2Build. When you have a moment, do you mind leaving a review for this podcast? I read your reviews at the end of each episode, and I'm constantly looking for ways to improve. 
Any ideas to improve your experience will be more than welcomed. And remember, you belong here. There is so much space for you in our industry.